0: This is Grow Your Life with Jason Scott Montoya, a podcast with stories and systems to live better and work smarter. Welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Life podcast. I'm Jason Scott Montoya, and today we're talking with Josh Sweeney. Josh, say hello. Hello. (laughs) Originally connected through a mutual friend a few years ago, Josh and I both related to each other's stories, life priorities, and business trajectories. After selling his company in 2016, Josh has launched a few businesses, including Founderscale earlier this year. This business worked with, works with founder-led organizations to scale their company by focusing on proven sales systems. So Josh, thank you so much for joining us today to share your life. Tell us about you and a little bit about your story.
1: Yeah, Jason, thanks for having me. Uh, so story-wise, I was born in Atlanta, Georgia, I haven't left so you're uh, one been,
0: of the few. <laughs> I'm one of the
1: few. That's what they tell me. Um, I think outside the perimeter, it's more common. Uh, but yeah, it's been it's been great. You know, lots of opportunity, low cost of living, can bounce to any other country fairly quickly through Hartsfield. So just never and had you, to really.
0: And you, you've really seen the transformation of the city. Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. I've
1: been. I see pictures from when I was little and forget how far it's come in some ways.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh,
1: stayed here all my life. I'm married, have two boys, and yeah. I'm heavily involved in their life. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I and and, and they play uh
0: not not a, not a uh, they play a little different sport, don't they?
1: Yeah, they both play <laughs> different sports. So my youngest is in football, but also yeah. lacrosse. Okay, lacrosse. Um, yeah. which I would say isn't quite as it's, it's getting more common in the southeast. Yeah. Um, than it was before and then yeah my oldest we both do mma and jujitsu so that's a bit different as well
0: yeah yeah that's fun so now tell me about a little bit about your business story how you ended up selling your business and then and then where you and how you ended up with with founder scale where you are now
1: yeah so i've been through a number of businesses i've always been an entrepreneur but i would say my first successful business was at core systems we did crm consulting and large crm implementations and I did that for about nine years, so I bootstrapped it and uh, grew to a few million in revenue before selling that in two thousand sixteen. yeah and then and what was there- the
0: and what was the the trigger? I mean you could uh, you could have sold it before that or later. you know was there a timing aspect of that for you?: Yeah, there was some timing. Uh, I had looked at selling it
1: earlier, and the valuations just weren't very good, and yeah. I was like, okay, I gotta buckle down and, and do more. you know this yeah. is, the valuation's got to be better. I need to get further along. And then um, there was a little bit of just uh, probably getting uh, fatigued in the business and the market Mm. that we were in. And then there was also some roll ups that were happening in our industry and with the product that we serviced. And so it was it was time to capitalize on the other organizations that were doing those roll ups and go ahead and make that exit.
0: Mm. And then you you do that, and then it's like, what do I? what do I do? Who do I want to be when I grow up kind of thing, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So uh, I went to work for the company that acquired us for a little over a year. And uh, I did that because I didn't know what I was going to do next. And then there's some non-compete agreements yeah. that go into uh, being acquired. So you don't go right back into what you were doing. And um, so, yeah, from there, I had to start to figure out what was next.
0: Yeah. And so what, what was your inclination and, and where did you start and, and how did that lead you to where you are now?
1: Yeah, so I started uh, again. I had the non compete, so I was like, okay, I'm not going to go back into CRM just yet. I did. I did it for nine years. Kind of wanted a break, so I went into company culture space and yeah. helping organizations build p- high performing teams. Uh, learned a lot of lessons, but learned that you know I I still think that business is about five years, six years ahead of its time. Yeah, and uh, it was it was tough to really sell. Uh, culture and team performance and, and see that we could grow it to the size company that I wanted for my next venture. Yeah. And so we really just put that on pause and I went back into uh, CRM and sales and launched Founderscale.
0: Yeah. Okay. And so tell us about Founderscale. What is it? How does it operate? And what's your role in it?
1: Yeah. So Founderscale, we help founder-led B2B organizations increase sales. And we do that by focusing on sales engagement platforms. So what that is, is it's really leveraging webinars, things like webinars and interview style podcasts similar to this to help people generate leads, but also look at the long-term strategy of the content and all the follow-on benefits you have in that strategy, as opposed to just cold outreach to set meetings, which is, you know, you either get meeting or you don't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we definitely see people uh, taking both roads, but probably more often the less effective one right now, (laughs) especially if you're on LinkedIn.
1: (laughs) Yeah, LinkedIn, there's a lot of that, you know, emails, everybody gets cold outreach and, you know, it just... It's not as strategic and I don't think there's as much of a long-term benefit as if you use a platform where you have webinars and you have podcasts and you have all this this content that later is going to be a really great inbound strategy for you yeah. while also generating those B2B leads today. know, yeah. so it does double duty instead of uh, a single duty that may or may not work out for your business.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So let's take a step back and then, and then we'll jump into systems and, and I'm sure you'll have a lot to share there. But, you know, we're, you know, it's September 2020. Um, we're nine, nine months into a year that uh, started out one way and completely flipped upside down for most of us. So it's been a health crisis, an economic one, a social one. Um, what do you think about this? How should we be looking at this? How should we be responding and, and how should entrepreneurs, you know, be leaning into it?
1: Yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, I'm, I'm predicting uh, this will be the first time we see aliens for Q4. They're actually coming, so we can have you know the Independence Day situation and all figure out how to
0: bond together.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> what know? does that look like? Uh, that could happen in 2020 um, if, if it's going to. Or be it evil, might be the be...
0: sequel. It might be 2021. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right, it might be. Let's hope not. I would like to get 2020 wrapped up along with everybody else. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot to unpack the health the economic, you know, how do we, how do we wisely look at that and face it in different ways? Uh, for me, I just look at how I can face it and, and what really works for me. And I have a few different ways that I look at these things. You know, the first one's ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a big fan of the book, Extreme Ownership and think that, you know, you can blame other people for different challenges all day. You can, you can blame externalities. Uh, but you're really only giving them control of the outcome. Yeah. So I look and say, what could I have done better in each one of these situations? And, and sometimes, honestly, I don't feel like, you know, they're my fault, you know, yeah. but I do look at it and say, okay, I'm still going to take ownership. What What decision could I have made? So, you know, if there's any way that I can take action then I do that and I plan for that later because I don't want to give anybody else the power over the outcomes in, in my life, no matter, yeah. no matter what's happening.
0: Well, and the other aspect of that is, so we blame someone else. Um, we're still stuck with facing the situation, right? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, you're still in <laughs> the same spot. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't change anything. And at least ownership uh, gives us a path forward. And so I guess on the business side, what, are, what, is that, what can that look like? Um, you know, yeah,
1: I think there's a lot of that happening right now where, you know, we can, as business owners, we can look to COVID and say, you know, we're going to blame COVID. We're going to blame, you know, the other crises that we're having. And we can sit back on that and, and not make a decision or be indecisive about that. But, you know, some of the top entrepreneurs I work with and we work with and that are in like the entrepreneur organization I'm in, I mean, yeah. they've pivoted already and they're moving forward you know, with vigor. So you know, an example for us is a lot of business owners in their early days find business through referrals and networking. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. all of those events went to a, ground to a halt. Yeah. And so now's a good time to say, okay, you know, how do you switch platforms? Do you do, you do webinars? Do you do podcasts? You, know, you can say, well, the way I did it was done and I'm just gonna hang out. Or you can take that as an opportunity to go learn and grow. And I've seen that with a lot of entrepreneurs where I actually got off the phone with one before this. And he said, he goes, you know, I'm actually having my best year ever. Like we, we had this strong pullback and then now it's just unleashing the floodgates and we're even better prepared because we got to refactor and restructure and, and do what we needed to grow. Um, And I know that's not happening for everybody, but I am seeing a lot of people make that pivot and, and forge ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I guess when you think about as the year ends and just even to to next year, you know, and with so much uncertainty out there, um, what would be some kind of guiding principles that, that are, that are helping you and that would help others as well?
1: Yeah. Guiding principles. Yeah. I say one, the, the owner, I go back to the ownership piece. Yeah. Look at, look at what you want to achieve and, and go own it, make the changes, Mm -hmm. take ownership, grow, uh, we're big on growth in, in my organization and me personally, you know, so when you own it and you go grow and you set that as a guiding principle and you don't worry about what else is happening, then there's only really one way to move forward. Mm. Um, another one is, you know, I like to say you have to be the change that you want to see. Yeah. You know, there, there most issues have a, there's, there's a challenge and you can either place blame and hope it all works out or hope other people change but really what I found over time is if I want it to be any different I have to act first Mm -hmm. not place it on somebody else to act first so that then I can I can act accordingly
0: and what Um, is that, that acting first what do you see as what what does that do for you and what does that do for the people around you
1: Yeah. I mean, a simple example is relationships. You know, if, if I want to, if I want a relationship to flourish, I can get discouraged because I reached out to somebody a few times and, and they didn't reach back out, you know, maybe they didn't have time, whatever it is, but you know, I can continue to act first and, and with trust and respect and say, okay, you know, let's get together. How, what else can we do to get together? Um, Another example of acting first is just, if you want something to change, you go act and do that, be that change, you know, and, and be that change with your feet and your actions, not just your words. I think that's another important thing that I'm seeing out there is, is there's a lot of people that want to communicate change. Mm -hmm. uh, But then you, if you followed them after they communicated what they wanted, they (laughs) they go back to their house and and sit down on their couch, you know, that doesn't really, that doesn't really incite any change. So that's, that's really part of uh, being the change you want to see and taking action.
0: So if someone's like, all right, Josh, I want to be the one that acts first. I want to be the one that takes owner extreme ownership. I'm scared or I'm, I'm, I, there's something holding me back. What would you tell them?
1: Um, that's a great question. I would say, (laughs) you know, if, if, if you're taking action and you're making it positive, and you're you're doing it with trust and respect of the other people that are around you, then it'll all work out in the end. You know, sometimes you just have to make that leap of faith and and put fear aside a little bit, and that can be hard. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's not, um, but a lot of times if you come at it positively and in a positive light, other people are going to respond positively, and and it's all going to work out. And, you know, there's going to be some kinks and you're going to have to work some things out, but, you know, positivity, trust and respect, you know, is a a great thing to lead with.
0: Yeah. Well, and I guess then, you know, when the other thing that you said a little bit earlier was that brought the idea of focus and clarity. And so someone can go, I want to act, I am acting, but they could also be wandering in circles, right? So they may may not even be going anywhere fruitful. So how, how does clarity and focus uh, play a role in this?
1: Well, you definitely want clarity in, the, in what you're looking to uh, achieve, right? So that goes back to, do you want to talk about it or do you want to take action? And to yeah. take action, you definitely need clarity. You need to be able to say, I'm going to go impact that. Yeah. How am I going to impact that? What are the steps to impact you know, health or social crisis or um, economic change, or whatever it is, and and how can I take action on that? So if you, I always start with the end in mind. Where do I want to go? Yeah. And then you know, another way to work on that is to get in front of other people who want that to happen and say, what What are the actual action steps? Where do I need to go? Who do I yeah. need to talk to? And start to fill in that path. Mm. Um, so that gives you the clarity, and I think that also gives you the focus because we can get off track. You know, all of us have some sort of goal in mind. And throughout that we get pulled in different ways. Yeah. Um, But if you really know where that lighthouse is and you want to go that direction, then the focus, you know, can always be, you can always refocus back to where you're going.
0: And I guess, so you're, you've talked about like the idea of taking that step, having the clarity to know where you're going, right? The other piece of the puzzle is, okay, you've started, you're moving, you're moving in the right direction, but there's something about actually finishing the job and grit and perseverance to actually follow through and to keep at it beyond uh, the initial excitement and emotion. So what's, uh, how have you developed grit over the years or what's, what's developed grit in you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I'm a natural entrepreneur. So I think I have a certain level of grittiness uh, where, you know, I just don't want to fail. Yeah. Uh, you know, set a goal, go after it, stay on it. But the reality is is, is that is difficult. Um, so I I am constantly educating myself and being around other people um, with more grit. I think that's yeah. one of the big mm-hmm. ones is find other people who have done it and have more grit than you. And if, yeah. you, if you're around them a lot, you, you know it can be done and they keep pulling you up. So mm-hmm. that's, that's one way is, is find those people to be around. You know, the other one is, is I think like education. One thing that comes to mind from your question is the book Atomic Habits.
0: And it's always,
1: it's about, you know, making these really small changes that impact things downstream, Mm. you know, and there's all kinds of root causes of why something happens, you know, I'm not eating healthy because when I go home, the first thing I do is sit on my couch and, you know, then I snack the most. Mm. So what is the one thing I can do is, well, I'm never going to go home and then sit. I'm I'm (laughs) going to write a list of five things I'm going to do first, you know, and maybe it's, you know, do the dishes or make the dinner or whatever, and redirect those behaviors. And there's all kinds of behaviors that we have in our life. And I know I have that once I redirect them, everything else falls into place.
0: Yeah. It's a, a, I guess a keystone habit is what power, uh, power habit talks about um, as the habit that, that, uh, informs the other habit the sub habits <laughs> right definitely <laughs> yeah definitely. so all right so you've got you've started you've sustained you've stayed focused you've had clarity and you either accomplished the goal or you're you're close to it how do you know when it's kind of time to just let it go or call it quits or say it's time to stop
1: yeah i think that's what uh it depends on kind of what you're stopping um yeah and really what your end goal is. So the question is, is does, do, does this still serve the end goal that I'm going for? Yeah. If it still serves the end goal, then maybe you're just getting fatigued and you need to, you know, mm. you know get back to the grit. You know, yeah. you know you're just going to have to grind it out because it serves that end goal. If you know where you're going and what you're trying to accomplish, if it no longer serves the end goal and, you know, it's just pulling, you know, life out of you to do that, then maybe it's time to stop. Yeah. And I think that's the realization I've had, you know, with, with some false starts with other businesses in the past and things like that, where it's, I look at it and say, does that accomplish what I want to do, where I want to go? Does it fit in the, the bigger life picture? And yeah. if the answer is no, then sometimes it's time to quit.
0: Mm. Yeah, cool, well, thank you. Um, so tell me about just, what does it mean to you to, to live better? And how do you go about that? And what would you speak into that?
1: Yeah, so to live better, uh, I think that's going to be different for, for different people. Um, living better is about doing more of what you love and less of what you don't right? So living better is if I can go do more of this over here, get rid of these items that are really a drain on me, to me, that's living better. And how do I constantly live better is is I, you know, I take those actions to make that happen.
0: But that also implies that we either seek out things that don't fit in that, or we allow those things to come into our life. So what's going on there? and, And why does that happen?
1: Yeah, I think there's all kinds of reasons, you know. I know one challenge I've had is okay, I want to be healthier and more active. Yeah. And so I'm seeking out more opportunities to to go hiking or I'm seeking out more opportunities to be active with other people and be healthier, you know, but there's other ways, there's other pressures on your life that cause that not to happen, right? So, you know, shuffling the kids around, going yeah. to events, the, you know, family life can have an impact on whether whether other people in your life are highly active or not, you know, there's all kinds of factors. And that's where, you know, I go back to the extreme ownership is like, if you want that, you just have to get rid of the excuses and go figure out a way to make it happen. Yeah. Um, so there's all kinds of reasons that those things creep into your life. And, and sometimes it's really slow and yeah. you wake up and realize it months or years later and go, ah, I need to shut that down. I need to get rid of this and I need to you know, supplement it with this. Um,
0: yeah, and do you, and do you see that as a, a dramatic thing or at a as an iterative process?
1: <laughs> I think it varies. Yeah, I, I am. it's hard to pick one because when I think of the examples, like I can be dramatic in that when I decide to do something, it's yeah. fast and furious. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. hey, I need to I need to drop some weight, and I just go hardcore and drop weight. You know, yeah. but. But the slow, methodical way and eating healthier and better and changing your lifestyle for the rest of your life is is a lot better strategy. Um, it can just be significantly difficult, you know depending yeah. on who you are and so that's a that's kind of a personality style and then some things just have to change slowly over time they they take time to change uh, mm-hmm. and for the right conditions and things like that so it depends on i think it depends on whether it's whether it's weight loss or growing a business or you know, changing, you know, having a better marriage, you know, yeah. some things, some things can be done rapidly and some things need to be done over time.
0: Mm. So that's, that's the life side of things. So what about the work? What does it mean to work smarter? What does it mean to be a smarter entrepreneur? Um, clever, creative, innovative.
1: Yeah. So working smarter is definitely different for different people. Uh, I know people that do a great job. They're like independent consultants. They have really good rates and they effectively work, you know, what would be the equivalent of 20 hours a week, but still maintain their lifestyle. And, you know, that's really good for them. And that's working smarter is I want to work less time, make more and and have more free time. Um, And so that's their kind of style for me. Working smarter is more about efficiency and accomplishing more in a given day. So I look at things like one of our values in founder scale is 10X. How do I look at something and say, how can I do 10 times more of that, but without 10 times the resources? Yeah. You know, if I look at something and say, this takes me two hours to complete, how can I do twice as much, but in half the time? So I look at things around efficiency and getting more done in a day, but not necessarily with more time. Yeah. Uh, so that to me is working smarter. And I, I see that in a lot of the companies we work with too. And a lot of other founders I work with where, you know, I'll walk in and see that they're just, they're adding more headcount to yeah. solve a problem. And it's, that's kind of like brute forcing it to me is add more yeah. headcount instead of taking a technology solution that could fix it and automate it. Mm. Um, well, you know, there's just all different ways.
0: Yeah. And I, I very much have that mind, that mindset, that mentality of, um, automation or, or leverage technology and let people do what they're good at and let technology do what it's good at. But is that, is that a generational difference? Is that a personality difference in terms of the sheer, the kind of the human capital versus the technology capital?
1: I would say it's both uh, like a cross section of generational and or industry. So yeah. there's certain industries that just lag behind where they've never really had to leverage technology. So when I think of uh, like law firms, uh, smaller law firms, I think of construction companies. You know, some of these other organizations where you know they just naturally have they're they're more hands-on in some way, like in construction, and they came up through that to build the company. Um, they don't naturally look at technology as a solution, whereas you know, you can be 55 years old and run a technology consulting firm and you've been in it since, you know, since the seventies yeah. and you think through that technology lens. So in that indi- in that case, again, I'm generalizing construction and, and and legal, you know, but it's different for different industries. Some adopt it earlier than others and some have it inherently built in. So there's that section. And then there is um, the generational where, you know, if you just grew up solving problems with technology, like I talked to somebody the other day and they were frustrated at their job because they're like, we use Google docs and everybody passes around Excel files and waits for people to update them before others, instead of just using Google sheets, which is live and collaborative and they just can't adopt it you know they yeah. just won't adopt it so like this person's frustrated at their job because they know they are used to using a, a very efficient technology yeah. and know that it doesn't even cost anymore yeah the 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 group that's there is just generally generationally different yeah. and won't do it you yeah. know so that becomes a frustration at, at a generational level
0: yeah i had a client who uh, was it actually got themselves onto hubspot so which is great uh, but they weren't using it to the degree, and and so I was like, you've got like this machine that can do this thing, and you're not even using it. And so, I ended up helping them set up a system that it saved their um, their uh, office manager person probably about 1,200 hours a year, and and it was awesome and then and then allows to scale and do other things and that person could focus on actually customer relations so uh so ended up being a really good thing
1: (laughs) yeah i mean that happens all the time i mean when i did just crm consulting we did anywhere from 30 to thousand dollars to million dollar implementations and Mm -hmm. i mean we saw that all the time where you know somebody is physically routing leads you Mm -hmm. know manually going in and changing who gets a lead and they're doing X number a day, and it takes up eight hours of their day every day. And if they doubled their amount of leads, they need another person, and then they just hired somebody. And we would go in and look at how they routed leads, and we're like, you know, it's, it's actually four hours worth of work to automate this. So like yeah. for, for less than $1,000, <laughs> we can make it automatically route an infinite amount of leads, and that person can go do something more valuable on the team and yeah. you and they and you want them to because they already know the environment right they can move yeah. to another role and um that i think is the generational and uh just different pieces where we look at it through a different lens because we're in that space and other people look at it through their lens because yeah. of you know their their experiences
0: yeah and i guess the other thing that comes to mind when you say that is and you tell me what how you how you work through this there's a control aspect. Um, I've got a, there's one client that I know has, there's a person that likes to route those leads. They want the control, right? (laughs) They don't want to let it go. (laughs) Um, Even though it's like a higher level person that shouldn't be spending that time doing that. So what are your, your thoughts on the control aspect of that and how do you help them let go?
1: Yeah, that's probably the hardest one. I mean, I like to have conversations like when I do one-on-ones with my team members, I say, you know, what are the three things you're doing right now that you love doing? And what are the three things you you want you would prefer to get off your plate and have somebody else do that, that they like doing, right? Because yeah. everything you don't like, there's somebody who really loves to do that. There's yeah. a different type of personality and somebody who loves it. And um, so I try to make it more of a conversation about growth. You know, well, we can't really get you there if you're still stuck doing this and then shift it into an opportunity, um, that doesn't always work. You know, some people just won't let go of control. Um, but you know, there's different strategies to try and help them overcome that or, or show them that there just is yeah. a better way.
0: Well, and I, the, the thing that I do and that I like is I, I think of myself as a conduit. Um, and that like I'm to, I'm essentially things should flow through me, right. Things should go. I, I don't want to hold on to things or to, Um, accrue or collect them because out of an insecurity that that gives me job security right that that makes sure Uh, I know that if I do good work and and I allow that stuff to pass through I'll always have an opportunity right and so there's something about kind of planning with the end in mind planning for the handoff planning to delegate this planning to hire it out right and but it it does take a lot of I don't know it took a while to get there for me i don't know <laughs> yeah. and i imagine there are probably aspects of my life where that's not entirely the case so the other aspect the other uh, our, our, um, part of it is also not necessarily that people can't solve the problem that technology always can but also how people solve the problem can shift so for example you know as a freelance consultant i work with other consultants freelancers and we work together on projects um, I was talking to a a client uh, recently who wanted to do a marketing project. And as we were talking about, I said, oh, we could help you with that. And I can bring in these freelancers and da, da, da. And the person said, well, maybe we should just hire an agency because it's that way, you know, they we're not having to worry about who's doing what and whatnot. Um, But what's funny about that is a lot of agencies will then call me to help them do that project <laughs> oh yeah
1: it's the same thing it's all some of that's all in packaging right like, yeah they want one one person to build them and they want one account manager and they don't want to feel like they're gonna to have to deal with multiple different people but yeah yeah I think there's a lot of things that happen in the background that are essentially the same but the, the packaging may be a little different
0: yeah. it all looks uh, on the surface level but just this idea that how we do business is shifting and changing. Um, employee, you know, people would hire employees, and maybe that's not necessarily the way. Maybe you can hire a contractor, or maybe you can uh, partner with a company. So, so a lot of a lot of ways. But I think over overarching entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship in a lot of ways is about mentoring and leading people. And so when you think about guiding others um, and mentoring and sharing with them, what does that mean to you? And how does that play a role in your entrepreneurship? Yeah, I
1: think it plays a huge role for me. So I think I have four men, four people I'd consider mentors right now. Yeah. Um, and really for me, for on the getting a mentor side and having mentors, they feel, fill all kinds of roles. So, you know, they fill blind spots hmm. um, or they push you to new heights. You know, there's mentors that That want to see you succeed across the board and have like really high eq and can coach you in certain situations um and then there's other ones where you know maybe there's a certain period of time that that mentor you know it's more of a situational mentor um, where they have expertise Um, like i know one of my one of my mentors right now they have significantly more experience raising capital and uh with intellectual property protection Well, with where we want to go with the business right now, we need uh, experience in both of those. And in my last company, I didn't have to do any IP protection and it was all bootstrapped. So I didn't have to raise capital. So I can really look to somebody else who's already been down that road multiple times and has extensive experience so that I don't have to go reinvent the wheel. You know, I Mm -hmm. can learn from them. So so there's getting mentors and finding people that really lift you up and help you get there more quickly and and you know want to help and then i think there's also mentoring so yeah you know at any point i'm also mentoring other people and that uh, with experiences i've been through so i'm uniquely positioned to fully understand how to grow b2b services companies because I grew a 1000000 dollar B2B service company, looked yeah. at ways to package product ties and scale, you know, without the human element to add technology and recurring revenue to services businesses yeah. and other struggles that somebody who didn't get quite that far, you know, okay. might need help with, yeah. you know, so, so that's where I like to also pass it along and see where can I help and, and where, and, and what should I stay out of, right? Yeah. There are certain things that people get asked for where it's like, yeah. It's probably not my specialty, you know, yeah. let's leave the ego out and, and just be, be <laughs> yeah. up front and, and stay in my lane.
0: Well, I guess, so um, when you think about mentoring others, what is it that motivates you to do that?
1: Um, for me, it's mainly just giving back. Uh, I think it's a way to pass it, pass it on for all the people who helped me. And yeah. there's all kinds of people that have helped me throughout my career. Where yeah. I can point to moments in time and say I got here mainly because I met the right person at the right time, and you know I went out and found them. You know I put in yeah. the effort to make that, yeah. and and I put in the effort to listen and lower my guard and get rid of ego and and yeah. hear what they had to give me, which is also another thing that some yeah. some people are have challenges with. Yeah. Um, so you know, it took work, but I also feel like there's a really good way to to pay it forward, and I enjoy yeah. that. I enjoy seeing other people succeed, mm-hmm. um, especially, and I, personally, I get some fulfillment out of being able to say, "Well, we did this," and then if they go do it, it's it works for them, you know. So that's also personally fulfilling for me.
0: Yeah, and I guess the 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 fact that you have mentors and you seek them out and you listen to them. What would you tell a person that's like, well, you know, Josh, he's just, he doesn't know what he's doing. If he was a real entrepreneur, he'd be figuring this out on his own. Oh, tell me about that ego pride thing that that many, many of us have faced. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think that can be a challenge for a lot of people. Um, it can be a challenge because it is a blocker. And, you know, some people just have this growth mindset and others mm. um, have the idea that they can they can do it on their own. And yeah. I think, you know, over time you learn lessons. And I know if I look back and really and those people too, I think if they look back and they really think about how they got to certain situations, other people help them get there. You know, yeah. we we don't do it in a box. Do we put in massive amounts of effort and take ownership and and grind through a lot of things on our own? Sure. Um, but there are pivotal moments, I think for most people where something happened and they just need to give it the credit that it's due, um, and then look for more of those opportunities.
0: Mm. Have you ever had a negative or a toxic mentor that you had to finally get rid of or part ways with?
1: I don't think I've had ones that were toxic. I don't think I've had any go that far, um, or, or even negative, I've had ones that just didn't work out. You know, like yeah. we were connected and somebody thought it was a good connection and we had a few meetings and we were just like, you know, like, I don't think I can help you in any way and, and what they're providing doesn't really help me in any way and it, it just wasn't as good of a fit. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, hey, you know, it's a, we're just going to have to end this and, and go move on. Yeah. Uh, so there's some strategies that you learn early on to put some bounds around how long you're going to mentor somebody yeah. And, and what you want to do to have like a little bit of a grace period to say, okay, 90 days in, do we want to move forward? Does this feel like yeah. a good fit? You okay. know, and so there's ways to give yourself some outs that you learn if yeah. <laughs> one or two go wrong um, and give them some outs too, you know, because my hope is always that, you know, we can, the mentor can learn something, you know, and I think that's another going back to your question about what's in it for me as well. If, if I'm mentoring, you know, there's a lot of fresh ideas that come mm-hmm. about from somebody that's younger, sees it, you know, or in a different industry and just sees it from a different angle. Yeah. And and I learn as a mentor. So that's always helpful.
0: Yeah. So you also coach sports for your sons. Yeah. So what's the difference um, between coaching in the business world and the sports world and then coaching adults versus uh, aspiring adults? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um. <laughs> Let's see the difference between coaching youth sports and adults. Um, I don't know. You got, you, you got a lot of the same personality challenges. Yeah. Um, So with youth sports, I mean, they're the, the kid's personality is based on their upbringing and their parents. So, you know, we always talk about being coachable and I think that's something that's the same across the board. You know, some adults are coachable and take feedback. And, and there's proper ways to give feedback, of course, uh, but you know, some adults are coachable and, and some kids are coachable and some adults are not coachable and some kids <laughs> are not coachable. And that just be, you know, is, is probably more of a similarity. I would say there's more similarities maybe than differences,
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: quite honestly. I think people think that there's some differences. So you know, like one thing I hear in the business world is, oh, well, I hired a person that already knows how to do that. And they've been in the industry for 20 years and I pay them a lot of money. So, so they know what they're doing. Yeah. And I don't really apply to that philosophy. I think everybody needs to be managed in some way. So even myself, right? I'm the founder, I don't report to anybody, but I'm managed in that I have mentors and accountability partners that put pressure on me to grow and achieve certain goals and will ask me why I didn't, right? And that's not too much different from a manager, a good manager. Uh, A good manager to me is a coach, not, not a boss. Yeah. And they're, they're holding their people accountable. And when there's a blocker, they're trying to get it out of their way. And they're trying yeah. to, you know, coach them through that blocker and what they would do. And, um, you know, so I think people think that there's a difference between maybe coaching youth yeah. sports. Cause they're like, oh, well, I have these little kids and, and they don't know <laughs> anything. So I'm just going to coach them. And I'm like, well, adults are very similar in a lot of ways. Like don't just assume they know because you don't know their background. And we all have different experiences. So there's always a coaching opportunity.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, let's, let's talk about stories. You know, uh, they, they shape us, they inform us, they entertain us, fictional, nonfiction. How have real or or fictional stories uh, shaped you as a person?
1: I'm probably going to lead to the real side a little yeah. more. Um, I listen to audio, nonfiction business audio books pretty much all the time in my car. I don't listen to the radio. Yeah. Uh, every once in a while I get into fictional, but it's just a little bit, it's just to check out. Um, so I think the the nonfiction for me is powerful just because I can listen to a story and see what somebody else was able to accomplish in the same mm-hmm. lifetime right in the same at by a certain age and i think there's a little bit of for me at least there's a little bit of other people have accomplished this so it's not impossible right it can be yeah. done
0: it reminds me of the i don't there's a name for this phenomenon that i don't recall but it it's the idea that when someone breaks an olympic record other yeah. people start to break it you know, they don't break the new one, but they, they reach that same standard. And there's just something about, oh, that's possible that all of a sudden people are able to do it. Is that what you're describing? <laughs> yeah, I
1: think so. I think there's a lot of that. I think, um, I don't remember the the phenomenon either, but I remember some of the talks about it around like, well, nobody thought you could break an X minute mile yeah. and it, the, the record just stood forever. And finally somebody did it. And all of a sudden, like 10 more people did it, you yeah. know, like within, <laughs> within six months or something like that. Yeah. And, and, don't fact check me on any of that information, <laughs> but that, that was the essence of, of the concept. And yeah, I think there's some of that where it's like, okay, this is doable. And yeah. you know, you can tear up. So like when I'm around other entrepreneurs that are my age and ha- are doing twice as much revenue or have, have solved other problems, like, okay, this is solvable. I'm talking to somebody that has yeah. done it. Or in the concept of reading, you know, I'm reading about somebody who has done it And so I can get there and, you know, you can see some of the paths and some of the thought processes and, and things around that. So their, their stories are inspiring in different ways.
0: Yeah. What is it that stories can do that sheer monologues or sheer data or facts cannot?
1: Stories drive feelings, which people respond to. Uh, people respond to a feeling, a challenge, something, you know, it being solved through a pain point, you know, like when I think about buyers in a a B2B sales cycle, so many people that are experts want to show them the data, you know, like Mm -hmm. here's the numbers, but really the, the, the pain point you're solving starts with the word pain and pain is a feeling. And I think stories really help people understand that they also provide, examples that resonate. So I can tell you how to do something, but if I tell a story or two about that and and how it factored in to the decision I made, that's where people really capture it and go, oh yeah, I had a similar situation like that. So they can identify with those stories a lot more than they can identify with some data points.
0: Mm. And then what about narratives that they they do drive us but in a negative way, you know, there's media narratives and political narratives and drama narratives and businesses. we can get caught up in a, in in them and they actually can shape uh, how we think and how we act in ways that we don't even realize is happening. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think um, (laughs) my personal opinion is that too many people get way too caught up in that. You know, I don't even watch much of the news anymore. I don't get caught up in those narratives because it's all some, it, it's all, um, it's too much. It's overwhelming. And if you see that every day, I think people get caught up in it yeah. and, and, you know, get caught up in that cycle instead of maybe taking action to actually fix something and do something yeah. and, and move with their feet. Um, so I try and stay away from those and say, you know, what can I influence? How can I have a positive impact and maybe it is something going on socially that I can have an impact on, but I have to look at that and say, do I want to be part of the talk or do I want to be part of the action? Yeah. And the narrative I think is what drives all the talk track around it. Yeah. You know, and, it, and, and so that's, that's where you have to make a decision. Yeah. Which one do you want to be part of?
0: So we can, we can feel good that we're talking or we can actually solve the problem and do something about it. Right. right. Yeah. Or at least try
1: to <laughs> solve the problem or yep. work towards, you know, work towards an action.
0: Well, and I guess what comes to mind is that I think it's a lot easier to talk about it. It's a lot more complex to solve it. And so yeah. do you think there's an aspect of uh, that has to do with that, that difference?
1: Yeah, it's definitely easier to show up and talk about something. You know, yeah. I can show up and talk, talk to you about any topic um, or, you know, I can go out on the street right now and and share my views reading and want.
0: criticize too it's easy to criticize i can right?
1: criticize yeah. i can lift up i can do whatever i want right from the street but the question i ask myself is is that the best use of my time and is that really have, is that going to have the positive impact that i want or i can say okay well maybe i want to voice my opinion but now i actually want to see what else can i do about that right so i can talk about hunger or, you know, I can go with my kids, uh, you know, scout troop and help pack food that's going to get shipped somewhere, yeah. you know, and that, that's kind of the way I think about things is is what is that social impact and do I want to talk about it or do I want to take action? And, and the action is a physical action. The action isn't talking about it more. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah.
0: <laughs> just to kind of clarify there. So, yeah, well, I guess then, then what comes to mind is, when, with the people that are actually doing stuff, they're making stuff happen, they're changing in real tangible ways. Does that talk sometimes actually make it harder for them to actually make that change? Or is it I just it noise could. that yeah, doesn't I mean- really...
1: I'd have to think about specific examples probably to kind of bring it home and, and know what the narrative and story is. But but I definitely think it, it can take away value because so many people start talking about how that message is delivered, right? You're talking about this and then another group says, well, we don't want to talk about it that way, right? And yeah. so the conversation starts to be about what I would say is the branding of something, right? Yeah. Or the intent of something. And now we're all caught up in a bunch of you know, more philosophical conversations instead of going and doing it. And it's taking light from the people who are taking mm-hmm. action.
0: Yeah. So let's, uh, let's talk about systems. Um, they are everywhere. They affect us, we create them. So how should we think about and use them and what are some examples of systems that you leverage?
1: Yeah, so I think about the business first. I think a lot of people reinvent the wheel instead of searching out a system. So, you know, if I want metrics in my business and kind of an operating system around which I operate my business, uh, they naturally progress and change and evolve and do it the way that they see fit at every point when you can easily go pick up a book that tells you exactly how to do it. And so, and like for example, one system we use is Traction EOS. Okay. And that's the Entrepreneur Operating System. And it tells you how to run level 10s and tells you how to mm-hmm. track your vision. And, um, you know, there's all kinds of different pieces and there's a model to it. So so the thing I love about systems like that is there's a book and there's audio out there and there's consultants as well. Yeah. So you can start using it yourself. And as you grow and use it and want to get more uh, Want to get better at using the system? You can opt to bring in consultants, and that teaches your entire team a system that everybody can follow. Where uh, and it it also solves training issues and dissemination of information, updating based on lessons learned, instead of it all being on your shoulders to to build your own custom system.
0: Yeah. So what is it? You know, there's a lot of companies I imagine we both worked with where the people, people are not on the same page. It's a bunch of individuals doing different things that happen to kind of be categorically in the same arena and, <laughs> but we're rowing in different directions. Um, the, the leadership's not communicating well, it's, you know, it's the opposite of what traction promises, right? Um, what, how does that happen and, and, and how do you encourage someone to go from that chaos to something more s- form, streamlined? Right. Just even the idea of it, not necessarily the specific system itself. Yeah, I think a lot of that
1: happens just because of the evolution of a business. So, uh, I don't remember where it came from, but I, I once heard that for every 30% of growth, you break a hundred percent of your processes. And that's <laughs> a pretty vicious cycle. You yeah, because it's that's a pretty to, vicious cycle if you're going from zero to three million, right? Because if you think of every time you grow thirty percent, you just broke hundred percent of the business. I don't know how many times you broke hundred percent, but that's a lot. I'd have to calculate
0: that. Um, so, well, and it's almost daunting to think is. of that. Like I have yeah. to rebuild my business every thirty percent. I mean, this is just a, every time. Yeah. yeah, and 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 I
1: think it sounds extreme, but having done it, I think it's true. I think it's accurate. And um, so why does it happen is, you know, one, the, the daunting fact of just reality, you know, starts to help make it where people can't keep up, you know, so if, if this changes now and I've added more people and I don't disseminate the information, then a few people are left out and then I grow more and it changes again, and other people are left on the old system, and people don't even know what the new system is, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and it just kind of
0: snowballs from there. And so what and we you, have to do, what? Well, I was gonna say, and, and it, it does seem to be like a ping pong or a regression, like they never get, they kind of go through that cycle, but they, actually, they never actually leave it, right? Right, yeah, they yeah. stay
1: in that cycle, and, and at some point, they, the cycle gets so bad that they go, okay, big refresh, I need a trainer, right? They have to mm-hmm. take a massive but, action, to overcome what's happened. Yeah. Um, and then, and then they, they get back on the wheel of, you know, the progression at that point. Um, so I think that's why it happens in, in many cases is just the natural flow of the effort it takes to keep your team up to date. So for example, um, I'm a big fan of Loom. So anytime I see something that goes wrong in the business or, or I learn something and, go, and I'm like, you use HubSpot as an example earlier. I use HubSpot and I figure out, oh, this is a better way to do it. I'll record a five minute Loom video and just send it out to my team and then I put it in the training folder. So okay. just the fact that I'm taking time, even though it's five minutes to do that, I've now recorded a video that I can send out to everybody on my team on the distribution list and then I can archive it so that when I hire a new person, I can then send them to the video archive and they can at least watch them in order instead of not having any training. And that builds up over time and you can decide to refactor it and do better to keep people trained. But most people um, don't take that one little step, right? Going again back to Atomic Habits, that's that one little thing that you can take five minutes out or you can rush to the next thing and when you rush to the next thing and forget about it and don't get to do it, what you just decided was if I have a team of, of 20 people, I actually unintentionally just decided that I don't need to train them on that because I'll come <laughs> back to it, right? And, yeah. and that's an unconscious decision that you're making that they they don't need that information. And that's that's yeah. where things start to go wrong.
0: Yeah, it's like um, that whole that adage of, if you can't do something, if, uh, if you don't do something yourself, it can't be done right kind of thing. Um, this idea that instead of taking the time to teach someone, I'm just going to do it myself, right? Right. And if I just taught them, maybe it took 10 minutes instead of five, but that maybe saved me 30 minutes over the next few weeks, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the coaching kids and coaching adults, right? Um, <laughs> I have kids, they have to do chores. And, yeah. you know, they unload the dishwasher and they do it wrong and then they do it wrong and then they do yeah. it wrong. And, you know, you have to continuously go back and show them. And sometimes you just want to step in and just be like, I got it. I'll, I'll go in and move this item from here to there in the cabinet because that's where it belongs. Instead of taking a moment to say, hey, come in here. Like, Hey, you put this here next time. I would like for it to go here. And here's the reason why it's important that it's here instead of there. Right. And that's a a very rudimentary example. Um, But if you take that time, then they do it right every time. And I think with a, with a kid, that's one person, but with a team, if you don't do that, you amplified that issue times the number of people on the team. So it's actually a much bigger issue that you Mm -hmm. didn't take the time to coach them because now everybody's doing it. Uh, maybe suboptimally, maybe not even wrong. They're just not doing it as well as it could be done.
0: Yeah. And I guess part of it goes back to what we we're talking about, clarity and vision. And the sense that like for me with my kids, by the time they're all 18, I want them to be able to run our household without mom or dad in any way, right? Because then they're right. going to have their own household, right? So it's not about me in the moment or them in the moment. It's about who they're going to become and the person I want them to become, right? And so you deal a lot with people, you know, when you think about systems and people and finding the right people and knowing who that person is, you know, what, what are, what have you learned about good systems for filtering and, and engaging with people?
1: Yeah. So in one of my last companies, we did a lot around the personality assessments and really understanding at a nature level, like a DNA level, what people are good at based on their personality. And I think, a lot of people end up in spaces where they're working on things that aren't in line with, with what they're, what they do best. Um, And so you get, you know, not as good of results or you get people that aren't happy with their job because they're doing something that's not a natural fit. And so in our system, you know, we always look for a culture fit when we're hiring, you know, do they match our culture? So for example, we have a very growth driven culture, our team, uh, we have, I think, let's see, seven people right now. We're on our 13th HubSpot certification this quarter. Mm. So one of our goals is for each individual in our organization, every team member has to get a certification or you know some sort of certificate of training every quarter. Growth is built in. So when we hire, we ask questions about growth in their life. Do, you know, they show indications that they're growing that they yeah. want to grow, that our environment would be good for them. So first we match on culture. Um, and then we look at the job function and say, are we matching on personality? Is this something this person was built to do? Or, yeah. or is the job that they're applying for really counter to their personality and they may not know it. We mm-hmm. see that a lot um, more with like early graduates and things like that, or people that are early in their career where, you know, they thought something was gonna be good, they went to school for it. And then later they find out that they hate that role.
0: You know, well,
1: we can actually do a couple of, there's a couple of assessments that have been around since the fifties that, that lots of company use, use, and if you really know how to use them, I can look at it and say, here's what you're actually built to do from a nature perspective. You know, the other 50% roughly is going to be nurture. Like how do we, how do we uh, support them in that role? But you don't want somebody doing something they're totally counter to.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then, what about in the work you're doing now? I mean, what are, I think about sales. Um, I knowing the power of sales, and especially when you tether it into HubSpot, when you use a system, you can get to the point where it, it's it's very predictable in terms of scaling it and generating leads and generating deals and then income. Um, but it's it's a lot of companies don't get there, or they it right. takes a while to get there. So. What what do you think about sales systems and how does that play out for you?
1: Yeah, I'm a total systems person because I do like the numbers and the predictability. And so I'm a big believer in that, you know, if, if you really don't know the numbers and you can't tell me how many calls and emails it takes to generate a lead, which, you know, generates X number of meetings and X number of opportunities, then it's not predictable. Right, you yeah. can't you can't really scale your business if you don't know those numbers and you don't know what the outcome is. You can't decide how much you can hire or pay a salesperson yeah. because you don't really know what they're supposed to produce. And I went through this early on before I knew the sales numbers, like early in my first business, where you know if a sales if an experienced salesperson told me something couldn't be done or they didn't do it that way at their co- other company. I believed them because they had more experience in sales. But when I really buckled down and learned sales myself and did it myself and came up with those numbers, I knew what could be accomplished. So Mm. an example of that is, hey, you need to make 60 calls a day, you know, in prospecting. And I would have people that, you know, they really just didn't want to do prospecting. And so they're like, well, that's too many. That's too many calls in a day. Yeah. And so I sat down myself and made 60 calls and I'm like, that took about an hour and a half. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, like, what do you mean this doesn't fit in a day? Yeah. Um, and so when I did it myself, I started to really build the system. And then from there, now when we bring in people where we tell them, you know, this is our system and this is how it's done. There, there's, not really, there's not as much room for discussion when okay. you have built the system and you believe in it and you know the numbers. Whereas okay. if you don't have all of that, you take lots of other opinions and people can do it their way. Yeah. Um, and their way isn't necessarily any better just because they have some experience. Yeah, so The system it, reinforces that.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it reminds me, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade's been on my mind uh, of late. <laughs> and there's the scene where he's uh, crossing the letters and he has to write, uh, I think it's Jehovah. He, the Jehovah letters are like, um, they're stable and the others are like fall into a cliff, right? But once he does it, right, he, he figures that out and then he does the next one, which is this invisible bridge and then the, the villains, they, they do it too, but they just, they just follow his example, right? So he's the one, the pioneer is always the one that has to figure it out, right? <laughs>
1: oh, yeah, definitely. And I mean, there's been a lot of lessons like I, I always share with people, like if I'm mentoring or anything else or, or even client prospects, you know, it's like, you know, I spent probably a couple of hundred thousand dollars in my first business figuring out how not to sell.
0: You yeah know and, and that's
1: one of the reasons you want you want to talk to me is because I can tell you what we did and and all the ways that we did it wrong yeah. and what people told me and you know what sales reps said and and what's just yeah. untrue, you know, and, and what things they're not doing because mm-hmm. it's actually behavioral and they just don't want to pick up the phone or, or they're scared to pick up the phone, right? Yeah. That's why it can't be done is because they have a fear of, of calling somebody and picking mm-hmm. up the phone, not, not because it physically can't be done. Um, so you learn all kinds of things like that, that you think the cause is a different cause, but it's not, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and I would also say, and, and I'm sure you have a lot more experience on this, the system you build, you need to compensate them in a way that enforces the system not uh, fights against it, right right, definitely, yeah, so
1: um, you know I talk about you know sales sales engagement being more of a philosophy and a culture than a tool. A lot of people look at like sales engagement tools, I want to do more outbound, so i 'm going to buy an outbound tool, and it's like, well, the philosophy supports the tool, not the other way around, so mm. like in our organization, one of our philosophies is. If they are a uh, ideal customer profile and they're in HubSpot, I want a human reaching out to them every 21 to 30 days with something valuable, a guide, a booklet, an offer to go to a webinar, um, buy them coffee, invite to our founders and brews event where we get together with other founders, you know, something that's helpful for them. And I want you to stay in front of them and continuously work on building that relationship and and giving for giving as much as you can. And, and knowing that it'll come back at some point in time. So that philosophy of staying in touch with people, every, everybody in our database from tw- every 21 to 30 days then supports the tool. Not, yeah. you know, hey, go adopt this tool and just hammer it out. You know, yeah. what's the philosophy behind that? You know, just more action.
0: Well, and the thing that I, there's a company I love called Harpoon and they, uh, they it's an invoice invoicing and um, accounting system for freelancers and agencies. But the system was actually built upon a philosophy that they're explicit about. And you can go on their website and they they tell you the philosophy. And so it becomes a, it's a very, every system is built on a philosophy. Um, you often don't know what it is. And so I just, I really fell in love with Harpoon because they, um, they were so explicit about it. And I was like, oh, that's the philosophy I'm looking for. And right. it created, it's, it's some nuanced differences in the way that their tool operates that is unique to me that I could go to like FreshBooks or something else and probably functionally do the same thing, but it would be those small little differences that make a big difference because of the work that I do and how I do it.
1: Yeah. I think you, you mentioned kind of the, everything does have a philosophy. And the question is, is, is it a a positive or a negative philosophy? And then has the leadership that's driving that philosophy conveyed it in the right way. Because yeah. I mean I've worked with people where behind closed doors you get a real feeling of their philosophy and you're like, yeah, yeah. this 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 isn't <laughs> gonna go well. You know, like I can see why this is going sideways. Yeah. Um, you know, the people, the companies who I see it all the time kind of talk about the coaching and mentoring and being coachable is, you know, hey, I've been in this industry 20 years. That won't work here. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, you yeah. know, taxis, yeah. taxis said the same thing. Well, yeah. we're not taxis? Well you know, I can probably go find a few competitors that haven't been in the, in the business for 20 years that are slowly catching up. Yeah. You know, I can go find those for any industry, um, yeah. or somebody that's going to completely revolutionize it yeah. more than just kind of copy and do something similar. Yeah. Um, so those are philosophies that are in people's heads that they can definitely hold them back as well.
0: Yeah. There's, um, I'm reading, uh, it's a fragmented story, uh, but it's the fall of Gondolin by J.R.R. R. Tolkien. It was one of the stories he wrote, but it never got published. And his son kind of put it all together. And um, but the most interesting aspect of the story for me is that this great city was built, and it was so great that they just became comfortable in in its greatness that it could never fall. And the story is about its fall. You know, <laughs> so. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and you know our arrogance and pride. It, even even if we are great at one point, um, it doesn't guarantee that we will stay there. Yeah,
1: definitely. And I like there's an exercise for that that I really like. It's a little uh, maybe you could look at it as a little negative or macabre, but I call it the pre-mortem. You know, so okay, yeah. instead of losing and having a post-mortem of why things get wrong went wrong, you yeah. actually say we're going to have a one-hour discussion around a pre-mortem. And yeah. we're going to talk about why we failed. So you're actually projecting in the future. You're saying we're about to do this and we yeah. want to be here. Yeah. And what we're saying is, okay, today we're acting like it's, you know, January 2021 and this failed miserably. Yeah. Let's talk about all the reasons it failed miserably. Mm. And so when you get to brainstorm and everybody starts to think about it that way, they're like, oh, this is all the ways this could have gone wrong. Well, now we can start to plan for those. We can yeah. start to build it into the process now. And you know, are there things where we're not thinking about? I think it was also in. Um, it's similar in a way to. I think it was on World War Z.
0: Okay, the movie um, or the guy. Book? It
1: was. I think it was the movie, and he was like, yeah. "It was the tenth man rule, where like if all nine people agreed, then the tenth man had to disagree uh, okay. and go spend time researching it and telling the, everybody why this they is
0: dissent." Yeah, right.
1: And I was like, man, that's so great, like. It's such an interesting concept that people, most people, won't open up them open themselves yeah. up to. But man, how much heartache in a business or life sense, you know, would be saved if one person's goal was to all. If everybody agreed, they had to go counter. Yeah, and they had to do the research and come back and, and say that, and they had permission to do it too. Yeah, you know, when they counter, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to rebut or you mm-hmm. know tell them why they're wrong. You just have to listen and, and say and with an open mind and think about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I love it, that's great. Is there anything else you wanted to share that we didn't get to? No, I mean, that's a a lot of content. (laughs) (laughs) Any final parting words of wisdom that you'd leave with us as we uh, close out here?
1: Yeah, I guess, uh, you know, kind of on the talk track and taking action of, you know, I kind of think, in in a lot of ways, talk is cheap, you know, take action. Um, but when you take action, make it positive, mm. you yeah. see what positive action you can go take.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, how can people connect with you? What social channels are you on? What's your website? All that good stuff. Yeah. So you can connect it with me,
1: Josh Sweeney on LinkedIn. So you can find me there. You can go to founderscale.com and hit the contact page. If you want to reach out and just say, uh, that you want to get in touch with me. Uh, so that's a couple different ways. And, and who,
0: who's a good fit if they're interested in, in working with your business.
1: Yeah, so a good fit with our business is a founder-led B2B organization, um, usually that has grown on referrals, but really wants to make the transition to, uh, from, from founder-led sales to sales teams, mm-hmm. and um, wants to do that in, in a more strategic way than just outbound outreach to, to set meetings.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much for, for sharing your life with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. For additional stories and systems to work smarter and live better, visit jasonscottmontoya.com. That's jasonscottmontoya.com. Thank you for joining us on this episode. And we look forward to having you listen in to the next episode of Grow Your Life.